that's action where we are live i wish i had like a you know that drum intro that joe rogan has um joe I, I experience. <laughs> joe rogan by day yeah train by day joe rogan by all, all day i don't know the guy yeah. sounds whoever's saying it i'm sure we could google it but whoever's yeah. saying it sounds like jim brewer or something like one of these short white guys um i just i can just picture it being like a drunk jim uh not jim brewer who is the guy who was on the Opie and Anthony show for like the longest time? He's a comedian. Um, que, que parece como, he looks like a he looks like the guy who always got picked on in high school, and I think <laughs> it's super fucked up. I think he actually <laughs> I think he actually said during the Opie Anthony show that he got like. I don't know. This is not funny. I'm sorry, audience. I think he said during the Opie Anthony show that he had been like molested by somebody in his family. <laughs> it's not funny. Oh, oh, know. oh yeah. I know the dude. I know the dude. Jim, no, not Jim, Jim Norton. Norton. Jim Norton. Is it Jim, Jim Norton? Norton? Yeah. Jim Norton. Is that who it is? Yeah. The, That's exactly. <laughs> Jim Norton. Anyway. Funny I'm dude. Sorry to say. Yes. I'm sorry to say, but I think. Uh, I think it's I think it's uh, Jim Jim Norton whoever that yeah. is. Okay. Anyway, um, it's been it's been a minute and thirty five seconds. Welcome, audience. Uh, we had been doing a little bit of pre gaming. Uh, the beer of choice for this episode, the official beer of choice. This episode is unofficially and unpaid for, sponsored by India Pale Ales, the American India Pale Ale organization. What are you drinking, Jazz? Uh, I'm drinking tonight, uh, well, post warm-up beer. It's going to be a Chateau uh, Maple Pale Ale. It's a pale ale with a little maple syrup touch. Uh, you can go to the cashier and tell them no etic report for a 0% cash discount. And to be proper escorted off the store. Um, but, yeah. Nice. Ale, ale for the night. Hmm, that's very nice. I'm drinking a uh, Goose Island Lost Palette. It is a hazy IPA with mango and cinnamon. Very light IPA, low IBUs. Uh, actually, very quite nice. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. No visa tonight? No visa sewer? No visa tonight. I mean, they've kind of lost a lot of their... Essence ever since ever since the they sold to Anheuser, yeah. Ever since they <laughs> sold to Anheuser Bush, it's like you know I don't yeah. really feel it. The romance, went to the, oh, yeah. yeah. You know, this is one thing that this guy Wakefield here in Miami really continues to uh, maintain, and it's that essence. It's like an independent brewer. Vesa, you go to Vesa and you don't feel like you're going to an independent brewery. It's uh, you know, it really does feel. Like the man runs that the show over yeah. there. But we digress. The topic of today's episode is not beer. Far from it. Far from any water, really. Because the first thing that we wanted to talk about um, was Dune. Frank Herbert's uh, classic, legendary sci-fi epic. Spans six novels, uh, an entire expanded universe. And purportedly... Uh, 
inspired a lot of the modern sci-fi classics. Some would say Star Wars and, and others. Uh, we're going to talk about Dune. We're going to talk about some upcoming projects. We're going to get acquainted. It's been quite a few weeks since our last episode. Um, and we are also going to have a few beers. Cheers. That's all I can say. Um, I I wanted I wanted to to start on Dune because uh, uh, I'm not gonna lie here and say I've known Dune for all of my life and I've been aware of its significance and importance in in the genre. However, when we got uh, the information of who was making the project and with whom it was making it with, um, you particularly showed uh, a lot of interest and uh, dug yourself a little rabbit hole as far as uh, information in the story. So I'd like for you to uh, teach me and, and our audience a little bit about uh, why did you find the project interesting and what caught your, caught your interest. Okay, man, that's a that's a long rabbit hole, and I tend to ramble on. So let me try to be as succinct as possible. Um, firstly, how did I come about Dune? And the preface to the audience is nobody, in none of the two hosts of this podcast, have read the novel. No, I know a little bit about the lore. You might wonder how does this asshole know anything about the lore having not read the source material well i'll tell you young reader young listener uh about 10 years ago give or take don't quote me on the timeline about 10 years ago i came upon a documentary documentaries called holorowski's june the documentary about the failed attempt um that alejandro holorowski famous latin american director Chilean, yeah. Uh, uh, he's, he was born in Chile, but he lived for many, many decades in Mexico. And that's where he made his, from uh, living and making films in Mexico is where he made his two most prominent films, which shot him to quote unquote stardom, not stardom in the sense that you or I would know who he is had I not come across this, uh, documentary but stardom in that somebody was willing to finance a you know back then a 20 30 million dollar film right which is a lot of money those those two films are called el topo and a at the mountains of madness now i came across this documentary because i've been a fan of this very small niche subculture of documentaries or historical uh, uh, records of failed film attempts. Like there's a very famous essay about, um, not famous, I'm sorry, but this, there's this obscure, it's actually the antithesis of famous, essay about Nicolas Cage's failed um, Superman film. And it's really, I'm going to send it to you, it's really detailed. It's even got pictures of Nick Cage in the Superman costume. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I've always been like a fan of that because it's like it feels to me. Yeah. 
Yeah, it feels to me like a window into like an alternate dimension. Like, can you imagine if Nick Cage had been Superman? Crazy. And I, uh, there's just another famous documentary about um, how Terry Gilliam tried to do an El Quixote film. And he had Johnny Depp in there. He's tried to make this movie four, five, six times. I think eventually he made it, if I'm not mistaken. Depp? Yes, but I digress. So I watched this documentary and I was enthralled. Not enthralled by Hodorowsky, because Hodorowsky is a very weird, eccentric character. Yeah. Um, I tried mm-hmm. watching El Topo and I found it just way too out there for me. Like if there's any listeners who do DMT or ayahuasca or any of those other weird psychedelic drugs, this is the type of movie that just feels like way too much of a trip. It's way too out there. Um, it's way there's too much of that nudity that you don't want to see um the 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 narrative is not really quite there but the reason why this documentary grabbed me so much is because i saw in the remnants of what Hodorowski's uh attempt was the foundation for a lot of modern sci-fi like star wars like even some star trek just a lot of the things that inspired um, sci-fi and pop culture within the last 30 years, specifically in Hollywood, in that film. And it was documented in a book that Hodorowski and his producer, his French producer, had sent to every major studio in Hollywood. So every major studio had a color copy of this book with all the colorful art by Dan O'Bannon and H.R. Geiger. H.R. Geiger is the guy who um, uh, designed the the creatures for Alien. Right. So I found myself enthralled with this project. I found myself thinking, oh, what could have been? Uh, This thing looks so amazing. The story looks so... And then they explain the story of Doom in a very simplistic way in the documentary. And I've seen the documentary several times, three or four times. So the basis for my knowledge um, on the lore lies first on having seen the documentary. The sub layer is really me just, you know, reading here and there uh, and just, you know, grabbing tidbits of information. That's the background. Um, For my very basic knowledge or a grasp of the lore behind Frank Herbert's Dune. That's chapter one. Okay. That's still like, Jesus Christ, that was like 10 minutes. We gotta keep it shorter this time. So, I became, um, I wouldn't say fascinated because I didn't really do anything after watching the documentary. I was like, oh, that's cool. Fast forward, you know, six, seven years later, the project revives at Paramount and Denis Villeneuve is tapped as director. Uh, I don't love all of Denis Villeneuve's movies, but I recognize him as an auteur. Like he is really, really talented. Right. Every movie that he does, I've seen them all. Every movie that he does, I have recognized as a quality film. I might not love them all, have rewatched them all, 
um, like I only saw um, incendies once. Uh, for the technique, I think I saw twice. Right. Uh, prisoners, I saw once too. So I, it's not like the type of uh, Sicario I saw once. Fucking um, love Sicario. Enemy, I saw once. Arrival. Arrival, I saw I think two or three times. My my point is, it's he's not like my favorite film director. He's not like that. But he is such a visceral, such a cerebral guy. Um, and what he is is he is very consistent. So I know he turns in quality work. Um, I wouldn't say, for example, I would say he is more consistent than Nolan. As far as consistent. In what? Consistent. In quality? Consist yeah. Consistency okay. and the quality of his work. That's what I would say. Okay. I'm not saying he's better than Nolan because I think you couldn't gauge two things in a numerical value like that. It's it's sort of like the, the meme we shared about Seinfeld and Kirk. That's right. You know, Nolan exactly has right. a bunch of homers much bigger than him, but I think Denny is a, has a better average. Denis has a higher average. That's exactly correct. Um, I hope there's no sports fans in the audience because they'll be like, what the fuck? These dudes have been talking, uh, uh, you know, 13 minutes about this weird, obscure film director, and now they just threw batting average. You can explain out. it to Massey later. That's true. It's not like there's 17 people here. Anyway, so I became excited because of my familiarity with Denis Villeneuve's uh, filmography. And then we started seeing the, the casting, right? So we got my man, Timothy Chalamet, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, Jason Momoa, uh, Ferguson, the hot lady with the sniper it's rifle like scene in the opera house. It's like an all-star of every man crush we've had. Stalin, <laughs> exactly right. It's only Stalin like Jake no, no, no. I don't think, you know, that, w that wouldn't really be wise. Too much, too much sexual. Anyway, I became, I became uh, uh, fascinated with the project because of my previous knowledge of the failed uh, Holorowski project and because of this new kind of star-studded cast, including the director. I was like, okay, you know, this, this looks like this could work. Um, and funnily enough, our, you know, one of our VIP, you know, Patreon supporters, Masi, um, became uh, very, very uh, uh, hyped up in the project as well. I think also because of the combination, I had put her on to Polytechnique and Villanova in general. Um, she was a fan of T Timothy Chalamet. And uh, she became a fan of the project as well. So this is all of the preface to say that um, our Patreon supporter, Masi, was staying here in Florida over the weekend. And we had the opportunity to go to the um, VIP fan screening event, IMAX exclusive of Dune. It's a lot of words. Uh, yeah. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. We had to bring a dictionary. And... Uh, what we what we saw on screen was 15 minutes of footage from the film completed with effects never seen and never seen so actual footage from the movie 
okay. and uh, interviews. Uh, you know, like a little uh, interview between Villeneuve and Hans Zimmer, and just like a bunch of uh, behind the scenes type of footage. And it was, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. Um, it, it, you don't really have a lot of context, um, but it's pretty amazing what they did. Before I break it down, it was really good. Before I break it down, I'm going to uh, explain the story of Dune in a minute. Um, Dune. Explain to the audience. I'll get another beer. That's excellent. So, the Dune novel is based on the desert planet of Arrakis. The desert planet of Arrakis is rich in a substance that naturally occurs on the surface of the planet called spice. Um, spice is the most, in the Dune universe, spice is the most um, rare and expensive substance in the entire universe. The clan of Atreides, which are our heroes of the novel, including the titular role, hero role, Paul, they are called upon to govern and protect and rule over the planet of Dune. Uh, and then because they are called upon to rule in the desert planet of Arrakis, they have to encounter both external forces who come in to try to steal spice, to smuggle spice. They also have to deal with the local population, the natives, the natives of the planet of Arrakis, um, who feel that that is their um, birthright and their home. And Paul comes from a long line and a very proud line of, of, of uh, uh, Atreides men. And throughout the novels, Paul becomes more and more involved in the uh, political and, and, and planetary interdealings of the universe of Dune. I think that's a good summary. The IMAX preview opens with a narration by Zendaya. And she basically gives you a 15 to 20 second background as to who the natives are in Arrakis, why they feel that their home is being uh, butchered and raped. I think they use that word. Uh, and there's a couple of scenes of the villains of the story. They're called the Harkonnens. Uh, actually stealing the spice from the surface of the planet and the natives who are Zendaya's tribe trying to stop them. And that's the first three minutes of the film, opening credits, Zendaya's na narrating. That cuts to that cuts to Paul waking up in his bed on his home planet. So Paul yeah. is not a native of Arrakis. The, 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 the Lados, the Duke Lado, Paul's father, Rebecca Ferguson, his mother, these people live in another planet. They're called upon later on to govern Dune, but they're not natives of Arrakis. Mm -hmm. Paul wakes up in his bed. This is before he's ever set foot or probably even heard of Arrakis. He wakes up in his bed and then he goes to have breakfast with his mother. The scene is important in the preview because 
his mother tells him to, he asks his mother to pass the salt or something menial like that during the, when they're having the meal. And his mother tells him, no, you need to command me to do it. Now, the background here is that the young men of the Atreides line, and there's a name that because I haven't read the book, I don't know. They have this ability. And this ability is called the voice. Right. Also known as the voice. Yeah, it's something like that, except that it's just voice. They don't they don't force choke you. So that's just and right. Yeah, but Frank Herbert had a way with words. And the way Frank Herbert explained the voice was this otherworldly just thing that they didn't really feel like you were being talked to. It's like the words weren't coming from the mouth of the speaker. Right. Uh, so she's telling her, like, pass the salt or something like that. Pass me the whatever it is. Let's say salt. And she tells him, no, you need to command me. So he looks at her very angsty teenager, rebellious. And Villanov does this really cool thing where he lowers the lights a bit and he shifts focus away from Paul. And then he, you can see Chalamet's lips move. But there's no sound. And like two seconds pass, and you hear 76 different people speaking at once. Different genders, different accents, different tones, different volumes, all at once. So it sounds kind of like, it's kind of weird to describe because it's not robotic and it's not like a monster, but it's commanding. People in the Dune subreddit were like, you know what, that's actually really well done because we didn't really know how they were going to do that. So he says, and then three minutes later, you hear, like just really but, weird, but... Is it freaky or is it cool? I thought it was cool. It's not freaky. Right. That's it's not freaky, freaky at all. Uh, for reference to the audience, would be like uh, the, the pseudo-bear in Annihilation, mimicking voices. That, that would yeah, be that a, 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 mimic, a mimic effect that's... Creepy, freaky, you know? That's exactly right. That's a really good reference. This does not feel creepy. It feels like you want you better pass this motherfucker this song. Right. Like it feels so it's commanding. Like a full and power. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, who knows? It's purportedly, the film is only the first half of the first novel. Right. So, uh, all right, keep going. I'll just, I, I have like a question for, for you. Okay. Um, so that's the voice. After that, we cut to a scene still on Paul's home planet where everybody's in military garb, in military garments, including Paul's father, the Duke Leto, played by Oscar Isaac, and a emissary of the Emperor of the Galaxy arrives with a bunch of uh, subjects or senators, whatever you want to call them. I don't know the form of government of these people and announces by emperor's decree that the duke atreides the duke later um is commanded by the emperor to rule and protect over planet arrakis which is something nobody really wants to do it's a desert barren wasteland full of this very uh, 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 
valuable commodity, which is the substance, with a um, purported barbaric uh, native population, and 76, uh, you know, I don't know why I keep using the number 76, but like, you know, a bunch of other elements who are looking to ravage the planet to smuggle spice. And the Duke accepts, and they cut to the scene with the spice harvester. The spice harvester scene is about five minutes long. It's very enthralling. And the Atreides clan, have, it looks like they're just arrived at, in Arrakis. They are getting a tour of uh, some of the dunes, and they're seeing the spice harvester. So it's this machine, kind of like those uh, big, big mechanical structures where the... Um, the Tuscan Raiders, I think it was, in Star Wars lived. The ones that stole... I don't know if they stole C-3PO or R2-D2. What? Are you talking about new Star Wars? No. I'm talking about OG. Okay. Anyway, it's this big, big um, mechanical... Oh, the, the ones that fight the, the dragon worms? Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember yeah, the name, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah you're kind of like that. So what these things do is they shake the ground and they make the spice uh, surface. And when the spice surfaces, then they collect it. They're called spice harvesters. And because that they shake the ground, they call upon the sandworms, which is the big mythological creature in, um, in the planet Arrakis and in the novels. And you know, that's what, in, what inspired the the famous scene in, in, in Star Wars where, where <laughs> Django Fett died. Or I'm sorry, not Django, Boba. Boba Fett died. Anyway, um, so because the machine is shaking the ground, it calls upon a worm, they initiate their process to try to um, airlift the the device, the big machine out, one of the uh, magnets inarguably fails. So Oscar Isaac, in, in true hero, king, emperor, whatever fashion, he decides to dive down in his ship. They look like choppers. They're pretty cool, the ships that they're using. Dive down and say that he is going to extract the, the workers himself even though they can't all fit in the, in the ships that they're on. So he does that. The problem is that the minute Brolin is in the ship with him as well, so is Paul. There's like three ships with the whole Atreides clan and a bunch of people. So they all go down. They all get off out of the ships except the Duke who's driving. Um, Paul even goes with Josh Brolin. They get a bunch of people. The problem is Paul trips and smells spice. Now, the thing I haven't really mentioned yet is spice is an extremely powerful and addictive hallucinogen. It makes right. it, it, it has a bunch of effects on on a person's body, but all right, it so puts you in, we're calling it spice, but what is it? Is it like a herb? It's like a powder. It's like a glittery powder. Spice. 
it's like a glittery powder. When you see it, it just floats. It's glittery. Oh, okay. All right. And it's called spice. So he trips and he inhales some spice his first time. Paul has a weird connection with this planet that we don't yet know what it's about. And it continues to develop throughout the novels, even though he's never been there. So he inhales spice and he immediately just becomes zoned out with what's happening around him. Everybody's running. The sandworm is closing in, about to eat everybody up, about to eat the machine up. They're running the the staff members back to the chopper looking thingies and Paul is just zoned out high out of his mind. He doesn't move. Brolin has to come and get him. Uh, he picks him up, kind of, he doesn't slap him, but he wakes him out of a trance. They get on the ship and they narrowly escape as the worm swallows the entire uh, spice harvester whole. And that's the preview. The cool thing is that happens in the preview. A lot of things happen in the preview. The cool thing, I would say, besides all of the stuff that I'm not doing any justice to, is the soundtrack. The soundtrack feels very otherworldly. There's not a lot of strings. Um, he, He does a lot of weird things with voices, where he samples voices, especially women's voices. And he said a lot of this, Hans Zimmer, in the like interview that they showed in the preview, which is that it's kind of funny. He was shitting on a lot of people because he said, look, whenever I see a sci-fi movie and I hear the soundtrack, I'm like, man, these people have like guitars and pianos. Like, wow, their society is so much more similar to ours than we even figured. So he was like, if I am going to do an out uh, out of world sci-fi, I can't use the same instruments. So he sampled a lot of voices to create these weird different sounds. And the soundtrack is really cool. The score. Yeah, the, the score is very, very unique. The score is very unique. He does weird things with, I assume, synthesizers. Uh, he doesn't use a lot of traditional instruments. So it has a very unique feeling to the movie. It feels very good. But it also feels kind of grounded in the sense that, for instance, I mentioned in that scene where the Duke accepts a treaty or the declaration or whatever, they're all wearing like military clothes. Right. You know, so at the end of the day, it doesn't feel like some weird, you know, David Bowie looking thing. It makes sense. Yeah, no, no fifth element shit. No fifth element shit. All right. So, all right. Uh, have you concluded? I have concluded. Okay. So, um, that that's a lot of wording, and a lot of people can get uh, confused or or just face in and out throughout uh, that whole introduction. So what I want you to do is this, uh, you know, you can, you can resume, uh, for example, Star Wars, a uh, whole saga of six movies about a boy who is trying to fight an evil empire at the same time, working on some family issues while using some powers, right? You can basically, from a few words, get a hold of what are you expecting. So what can we expect when we are starting this journey of hopefully watching a few films about the Doom Saga? The funny thing is, 
you could make the argument that a lot of what you just said is inspired by Dune. Is Dune preceding uh, Star Wars? Yeah. By a lot. Hodorowski's Dune precedes Star Wars. Wait, then Star Wars came out in 1970? Right, so Hodorowski tried to make it in 72, 73, 74. So the book got to the studios before Lucas even thought. Right. Luke, uh, before, um, before Ridley Scott thought to do Alien. Yeah, that's 80s. That's way ahead. Yeah. The point is, those books were already at the studio's table. Oh, okay. So, yeah, the story is about a boy, and I don't know enough about the lore to summarize all six books in one sentence, the way you just succinctly did. Right. Um, but it's about a boy with some family issues. Um, yeah, so the, the novel's from 1965. It's about a but boy with some family issues. Do you know, like, at least... Uh... The premise of it, I mean, is it about a war about defending its planet? Is it about just a war because someone's invading? Is it not a war? Is it just about the powers? Is it, is it about the spies? Uh, the novel, the novels, the story is right. about the planet, the spice, and then thirdly, Paul. Okay. So the, 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 the novels really get, which is why people thought it was unfilmable or unadaptable, is okay. because the novels really work into the political, religious, social, um, societal uh, problems within the galaxy, as they specifically relate to the planet Arrakis and the spice. This is why I... I, I Thought it was really good to mention this entire uh, uh, scene with the with the emperor declaring that the Duke Leto and his clan would now be responsible for the governing of planet Arrakis because it's a very very important assignment because of all the natural complexities that happen with you having to govern this planet where it's just oozing cocaine. Right. So the the planet and the spice take more of a center stage than Paul in the story. There's a lot of political elements to it. Okay. Um, and then there's a lot of esoteric things that happen and the societal stuff and Paul becomes the planet. It's a bunch of just weird stuff. Is it a multi-character POV story or is it mainly him? I don't believe it is a multi-character POV story. You know, even like, uh, you know, Tolkien, that even though Frodo is basically the main character, you, you could see or understand the path of each of, it, of, of the characters. Is it more like a Star Wars? Is it, you know, Anakin or Timothy in this case? So in Dune, it's kind of like Harry Potter. So right. it's, it's essentially like you have a narrator who's following Paul around. It's a story the about the world, but it's the main character. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. Okay. <clears throat> cool, yeah. I can get behind that. Yeah. It's, um, 
It was really interesting. And it was, uh, in and of itself, number one, it was shot in IMAX. So I recommend that when you have the opportunity to see it, you go to, I believe there's a Palacio del Cine. Yeah, if it hasn't gone broke through the pandemic, and the, uh, the one in Blue Mall is an IMAX, yeah. I, I would recommend it. It looks fantastic in IMAX. Uh, it's a very, very well shot. Looks good. Uh, I, w I would recommend it that you go watch it in IMAX. And it was cool to watch it with other hardcore fans. Not your average mo moviegoer wasn't going to watch 28 minutes of footage from this movie that's coming out in three months. Yeah. Why? So, you know, that was kind of cool. You can get behind that. Okay. Cool. All right. Any more uh, pre-hype about the Doom you want to share with us? Not at the moment. I think, <laughs> you know, 30, 36 minutes is enough of me rambling about something I don't fully understand. That's mansplaining for you. All right. All right. Well, since we got Dune out of the way um, and we know what to expect. While you do that intro. Right. Um, since we now have a grasp of what Dune is all about, uh, me and Josh wanted to, to talk about upcoming projects that we have coming uh, to 2021 and possibly early 22. Um, as you, as you may know, if you've been following the, the show, uh, basically we like nerdy shit. Yeah. So, um, we're going to focus basically on, um, Marvel movies, DC movies, sci-fi movies. Um, there's now a whole trend about doing sequels to uh, movies that were not planned to have more sequels. Uh, I'll give you an example in, uh, in Matrix 4. That'll be one of the topics we'll, we'll share. Um, we will also talk about The Suicide Squad, that it's a sequel, but also a remake, but also none of the above, according to James Gunn. Um... Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, when we talk about that, I would also like to expand into what is uh, Marvel doing now? Uh, because I was uh, having a discussion with a couple of friends like, earlier, and um, the topic of Black Widow came up. The topic in positive Black or in negative? In both. Um... I'll give you the, the story. Um, we're, it's, it's a group of friends, and we, we were just talking, and one of them said that um, they didn't like the, the alternate ending to Black Widow. Spoilers ahead. Uh, he, well, yeah, I've seen the movie. There's an alternate ending on Black Widow in which when uh, Florence P. whistles, someone whistles back. So it's hinted that uh, Scarlet is still alive. They scrapped that and they left it as it is today, which is to uh, to be assumed that she's in fact dead. 
Uh, and to uh, further down on that point, they make it a, a connection to to make her, uh, you know, angry at uh, Hawkeye for quote unquote killing uh, Black Widow. So we were discussing that, and while that was the subject, one of them said, you know, uh, Disney has to be careful about recasting the role of Black Widow because it's become really emblematic within the audience that Black Widow is, in fact, Scarlet. I disagree with that. I I, I believe that unlike... Uh, Tony Stark and RDJ, or unlike Logan and Hugh Jackman, that really made the role them uh, to a point that it's hard for the regular audience to picture another another actor doing that role. With Black Widow, people actually fell in love with Scarlet, not Black Widow. You know, we, not we. I'm not going to talk uh, on behalf of everybody, but a lot of people actually went to see Black Widow and, and enjoy her version of Black Widow because of her. And not in a sexual way, but because she was a really fun character. She evolved from a secondary character to an almost main character that you actually want to see that develop the story. But it was because of her, not because Black Widow is suddenly very interesting and very uh, mixed in together with Scarlet. So my point was, you can easily uh, just change Black Widow and make it Florence Pugh and no one will care because it's not like she's replacing uh, Scarlet in the role. It's like she's succeeding, you know? It's not like uh, Eric Bana, Edward Norton, and uh, Mark Ruffalo did, which is basically the same character played by three different men. So Florence Pugh is not doing this Natasha, you know? She's doing Natasha's sister, which will be a successor. And this went on for a while, and that's why I, I was curious to share with you and with the audience the fact that there's a lot of different perspectives on, on what Marvel is doing with succeeding roles. Um, we It also came up the fact that uh, Iron Man, even though it's not shared openly to the public yet, is going to be not replaced but succeeded by Iron Heart which is the uh, African-American female. Uh, in the comics, she's a teenager, but I don't know if she'll be a young adult or what age group she'll be in the movies. Um, and that'll probably work. Um, Anthony Mackie's uh, succeeding Chris Evans. Um, and there's a bunch of examples of, of people that are just succeeding spiritually, the roles. And... It's, I highly doubt that's going to have an impact directly on the audience unless they were actually doing the same character again, you know? If they actually made, like, Anthony Mackie, okay, you're now Chris Evans, and start hitting on Peggy Carter, and, you know, people are not going to buy it. But if it's Anthony Mackie being the new representative of Cap, then people are going to go with They are. I think... I completely agree with you. There's a very big difference between uh, the situation of, or the case of um, Eric Bana, Edward Norton, and Mark Ruffalo, which is the character was bigger than the three of them. So replacing an actor um, 
was very easy. Not to mention the fact that Eric Bana and Norton were before the MCU, so the stakes were a lot lower when you had to replace them. Technically, uh, Norton is an MCU. Yes. I mean, like always, you're technically correct. You know, there's, a, there's, there's an entire historical um, massive grave of dead bodies that you have murdered and being technically correct. But yes, you are technically correct. Yeah, there's I'm just no saying because that, that was an excuse uh, that he used. But I said, you know, well, but he was. He was replaced because the actor was a trouble to, to make a movie with, you know. And it didn't work. Yeah, also, he didn't connect with the audience. Yeah, they just it was not a good role for him. Exactly. So you have, on one hand, those three, which if we set aside the fact about Norton being in the NCU or not, the character is bigger than, than the three of them. Um, yeah. The, on the other hand, you have, and I'll even use a hot take here, which is as much as I loved Iron Man, I read some Iron Man comics. I used to really like the Iron Man cartoon where he had like the briefcase and he'd just drop it and then like yeah. stick his feet inside. He was not a very cool character. Tony he wasn't Stark famous. With, in, in our generation, he wasn't famous. No, I mean, if you were a comic book guy, of course you knew who Iron Man was. That was cool. I knew of him, but I wasn't a fan of him. Yeah, me neither. I liked the cartoon because I was like, fuck, this guy's rich and he's got this fucking suit. I'm in. You know, that's, exactly. He's you know, a colorful bad man. Yeah. Yeah, like 12 year old me didn't really have that high standards. I was watching, you know, like Samurai Pizza Cat and just a bunch of weird cartoons. I, I didn't really care. Yeah. But Downey elevated that character to something more. Um, it's him. It's it's exactly him. And you could make that same argument about Scarlet. People don't care about Black Widow. Um, Black Widow wasn't really a super interesting character. For God's sakes, there's a big meme about when they're doing that pan shot in the Avengers. Everybody's like, Hulk is like, Iron Man, and she's like, you know, cocking the Glock. I'm like, really, dude? it's not it's not a cool character but she did she did her thing i gotta give it to her she did her thing yeah uh my argument was uh that for example he's not as embedded in the character as tony is with our rtj's with tony she's just scarlet i agree with you i agree with you it doesn't it's not even she doesn't really have a costume exactly she doesn't really have a costume she doesn't really have like a this image with like the spider the black widow this isn't known to people if you do a focus group and you ask them what this means they won't know no you show but people connected with her yeah exactly people first were doubting her as an action figure i remember that when the first uh one no yeah when the first avenger came no it was iron man 2 that she had like this whole infiltration scene in which she like uh, did like grab the guy with her legs and just throw him back and did the whole, you know, stance and cucking her hair back and whatever. And before that, when she was casted as a uh, black widow, I remember that people only saw her as a sex symbol and, and people were doubting actually how good she was going to be as an actual role. And she did that well. She shut everybody funny. out. Yeah. Florence Pugh makes fun of that in the movie several yeah, times. Yeah, I love that. 
I fucking love that. I, for me, Florence Pugh, Florence Pugh is the best character in the movie. She's so good. Oh, she has oh. that character has no right to be that good. She is, you know, with her weird Russian accent and just you can tell it's not hers in the action scenes. I don't care. It was really me, damn yeah. it. Self awareness in, in comic book movies when it's well done, it's really good. Yeah. It is. So yeah, they pulled it off there. Yeah. They did. They did. So what are you thinking about um, the Suicide Squad film? Because you sent me a couple of days ago, you sent me uh, the screenshot of IGN's almost perfect review. You sent me a screenshot of the Rotten Tomatoes score. Oh, it's gone down 3%. Oh, wow. Just unwatchable money back. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, what are we... I, I can't really... I didn't hate Suicide Squad. I watched it more than once. I thought it wasn't... I have hated it. Yeah, and I didn't really feel that strongly about it. It was fine. There's some things that I enjoyed. The Joker was cringy as hell. Uh, Will Smith was cringy as hell. What is this? Some kind of noetic report? (laughs) 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 Uh, I didn't mind it. It was fine. I didn't think it needed a redo that bad. No, I, mean, I wasn't expecting it. This, this was a curveball, for sure. But I think DC, um, they're they're desperate to build their universe no matter what. And it's like they double down. They don't take steps back. They double down on everything. Hey, may, releasing a four-hour movie just to prove a point? That's exactly right. Yeah, it, it, they, they did the impossible, which is bring down Joss Whedon. Even further yeah. down than he already was. Uh, and now, you know, they hire the Guardians of the Galaxy guy to to hire their quirky, unknown superhero films, which is actually an incredible chess move and makes total sense. Because yeah. this is a guy who, you know, the most obscure, uh, some of the most obscure characters in the Marvel comic universe just like the guardians of the galaxy like rocket raccoon and drax and made them into superstars i mean people love these fucking movies those toys fly off the shelves yeah yeah um, and i think yeah it's just as a little parenthesis i was watching the trailer for eternals yeah and in the youtube comments this guy was like this comic book sucked it was way too obtuse and way too like high level esoteric like trying to be deeper than it already was this movie's gonna suck the same way and i was like that kind of sounds like par for the course like that's what's gonna happen yeah these guys i don't have a good feeling about the eternals honestly no not at all Especially at that one scene in the trailer where they're like, oh, you think I can lead the Avengers? I was like, no, Mike, there's no charisma in any of this. Uh, yeah. this, this doesn't work. It's like way too serious. If it was a funny movie, maybe. Who's going to be the, the, the lead? Uh, it's Rob Stark? Yeah. yeah. It's Richard Madden. Yeah. He, he was okay in uh, Bodyguard, his uh, BBC TV show. He actually he made, made okay. me forgot that he was Rob Stark. 
which is uh, more than I can say about Emilia and, uh, and John Snow. He actually did an okay job. Um, yeah, but I, I, I don't I think, see it here. I, I don't see it either. But I think they all shine in comparison to um, Sansa. <laughs> what a terrible, terrible actress. Terrible. <laughs> she is terrible. She's absolutely terrible. Also, uh, unrelated, but also very related. I haven't seen uh, New Mutants with a Macy. It's allegedly horrible, but I still want to see it because I want to comment on it. I, I look forward to your review. I will not be watching. <laughs> well, if it's, I don't know. I don't even know if it's a movie or a TV show. If it's a TV show, I won't watch it. But it's a, if it's a movie, I can do it. Let me tell you something, my guy. If you don't know whether something is a movie or a TV show, that in and of itself should tell you something. Right. No, not really. I'm just talking shit. But back on um, topic. Uh, that's right. For all of you out there listening, I'll give you a little glimpse into my skeptic mind. I would have, I would have. Now, if I had the fucking soundboard, I would have put like the crickets um, noise right there when you said that. <laughs> I want to buy one of those shit. Um, you, when we get to episode one hundred, I will buy it for you. One hundred. That's right. No, no. I mean, I'm not playing games here, young man. All right. I'll hold you to it. I, I'll remember that. Um, Fuck. What I was going to say is, a little uh, peek into a skeptic mind, is that if any movie comes across after, well, let's say a good sample size, let's say 30, 30 reviews, and it's all positive, something's wrong, something's fishy, same like the, the same thing I can say if it's all negative. I mean, except when it's all negative, it's probably true. Because it's harder for a studio to pay a lot of reviewers just to shit on a movie. You know, at least some will go out of the way and say, hey, this is not that bad. But when every single person says that it's a great movie, that's a 4 or 5, that's a 9 out of 10, that it's a 10 out of 10, that it's a 5 out of 5, you know, something's not right. So when the pre-screening started and uh, the review copies started to ship, this had almost 50 reviewers 100% positive. For a comic book movie that is a remake, almost sequel of a horrible movie, so you have to add up all of those ingredients, and each ingredient makes the, the result a lot less likely. Um, the only positive thing I can see here is that it has a better director, and that the best character in the movie is reprising the role, which is Margot Robbie. Other than that, I don't see how this, still to this day, Cue the meme. To this day. <laughs> Has 97% positive rating. I don't see it. I don't see it. If it had 70, I would buy it and I would be intrigued. Like, huh, this is a 70%. From, okay. from a very shitty movie to a 70, it's impressive. I want to see it. But on a 97, it has 76 reviews. Only one Okay, bad. Here's, 
here's me just being devil's advocate because right. I feel the same way you do. In the history of, in the history, hmm. when have you ever seen studio successfully buy a 97% IT, RT score? Well, the, that's a tricky question. And so catch 22 because I can't prove it, but no. No, no, no. I mean, I, of yeah, course, man, you know, I would say, you know, Black Panther did it. I mean, yeah, okay. You got me there. But like Black I, I Panther, no studio bought that. Black Panther knows. We talked about why Black Panther has such a high score. And it's not because Marvel or any studio paid for it. It was because of the social climate at the time. Right, right, Black right, Super, right. It was a bunch of things that were happening there. Even though it's not a bad film, and I liked it a bit more than you did, but it's not perfect. And the CGI battle between the two of them at the end is something that I could have done better on After Effects. Uh, but that, I mean, that's a really good counter point to make in the term of Black Panther. But there is no way the the point that I was trying to make by asking you to mm -hmm. come up with, you know, it's kind of a reverse in me asking you to disprove, right? right? Probably unfair. The point that I was trying to make is it's hard to buy something so extremely positive. You can buy something and get it up from a 40 something or a 30 something to a 60. The thing is that it would be harder way back in the day than, than it is today because it's 76 people and most of them are just People like you and me that have been reviewing on the websites for a while and are now considered official reviewers on RT, you know, it's not like they're paying, uh, what were the names? Everett Schubert? The one with the <laughs> no job? Ebert and Roper. Jesus Christ. Ebert and Roper. <laughs> what an asshole. He had cancer. They had to take it away. Excuse me. Did he have a jaw? Cancer took it away from him. But did he you have it? Dick? I'm not asking why. He had it. It's just cancer was the owner now. <laughs> <laughs> what an asshole. Uh, but I digress. The fact is that yeah. I that is my tinfoil uh Hill, I, and I will die in it. Yeah, I, and I don't, do believe Marvel does it a lot. Not only Marvel, Disney. I do believe Disney does that a lot. I agree with you. That's why Disney has all these high 90-somethings. But these high 90-somethings, none of them is bad. I would have to run a list to see which ones are 90 and which one. I could argue I, are not aligning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You totally could. You could come up with one that I'd be like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, um, Inside Out maybe wasn't that good. Or the um, Soul. Soul was really good. I liked Soul. Did you watch Soul? Um, Soul's Pixar, no. though. No, because that's um, that's on the on Disney Plus. And I haven't. Plus, I'm not a fan of uh, CGI uh, cartoon movies. Soul's really nice because it's about like jazz and the guy dies. But yeah, I've like heard the same original. about, for example, Coco. I've heard Coco's really good. I haven't watched Coco. Coco is tops. I still like found myself listening to a song from Coco the other day. Yeah, Coco's good. good. 
uh, oh. the kid is unknown, but you got Gael Garcia Bernal. Uh, you got Benjamin Brad in there. Uh, it's good. It's good. It's yeah. good. My point is, those 90-something Disney, they might not be for you or for me, but they're quality. You can't get a 90-something from something that's not quality. That's my point. Debatable. For another thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be, it would require you to do research and be like, whoa, look at exhibit A. Exactly. But I think, I think overall, we can agree with that. Of course, it's possible. Of course, we know they pay reviewers. We know the entire business of Hollywood, the entire business of the Academy and the awards relies on them throwing parties yeah, to invite. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, there is the movie that wins best picture is the one who spent the most money in putting ads in variety putting ads on melrose and billboards sending out screeners the earliest sending out goodies throwing out these parties you want to be okay with the studio the studio sends you a reminder hey did you vote for moonlight because we've really by the way we'd love to see this is a business we know that however Moonlight's a really good fucking film. It's really good. This is my point. It didn't just win on its merits. It won because the studio really got behind it. However, you can make that point for a bunch of movies. However, I can double dare you to find me a, a remake of a comic book or fiction with a arguably worst cast with a little faker CGI in, in that I'm um, regarding to Shark Dude versus Croco Dude. Shark Dude looks like straight out of a, uh, out of a cartoon. And Croco Dude actually looked believable. Yeah, he did. Uh, yeah, at he least did. for me. Uh, using wrestlers now. Uh, you know, I, I love John Cena. I don't think he's in the movie, though. Uh, I haven't seen him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I agree with what the point that you're trying to make, but I think that point doesn't help your argument, which is people that- do not connect with these characters. People don't care about the previous iteration of the movie. People forgot about it. But I'm not talking about the people. I'm not talking about the perception. I'm not, I'm talking about straight up logic that I as a wannabe savvy of movies would take into believing that this is actually a good piece of movie. Okay? So I already know what Margot Robbie's gonna do. I I'm almost sure what Idris Elba's gonna do, which is a less cringy Will Smith. Uh the 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 military leader dude is doing the same role. The boomerang dude is doing the same role. Uh, the the Viola Davis is doing the same thing. That's crazy, man. If so, I was David Ayer, I'd be pissed. I mean, what what's the difference? Is his scripts suddenly so great that it's suddenly a good movie? The issue wasn't the script. Is it suddenly everybody's doing a much better performance? I don't think so. I mean, they very well could be. 
Enlivened by writer-director James Gunn's singularly skewed vision, The Suicide Squad marks a funny, fast-paced rebound that plays to the source material's violent, anarchic strengths. 97%. 76 viewers. 76 reviews. Let's look at... I, I, I want to agree with you, okay? But look at this guy. Now, that's how you do it. Four out of five. Sometimes you just need to watch a humanoid shark tear a man in half. Four out of five. Uh, Everybody is positive. I cannot. I just, I, I mean, you can go to, I don't know, the Godfather's review site and you won't see so many positive reviews. Your argument is not helped by the point that you made 20 minutes ago, which is that now a bunch of people with laptops that have been reviewing movies are now critics included in the tomato meter. And they weren't when Godfather 2 came on. Not that the Rotten Tomatoes existed back then. I'm just saying. (laughs) The thing is that uh, it's it's a hard sell. It's a hard sell. That's all I'm gonna say. I think we're arguing also about a hypothetical in the sense that you're not gonna go to the theater to watch it. I'm not gonna go to the theater to watch it. No. So we have to wait until HQ Torrent appears. Not supporting privacy. We are hardly. We are paid and sponsored by the U.S. government. If you pirate this podcast, we will sue you. <laughs> this is protected. Copyright Noetic Report 2021. Bitch. Okay. Um, so let's move away from this very controversial topic. Right. Let's talk about this. Uh, we talked briefly about it. So let's talk briefly about it again. The Spider-Man film. Because we were just talking about... Right. The overarching uh, cinematic universes and the different layers that they have, the recasting of a role, um, the importance of a character rather than of its actor. Mm-hmm. Now we have, you know, this purported new Spider-Man movie, which I think the official title is what? No Way Home? Is that what it's called? Yep. I always get confused because um, when they talked about the title they each released a different name for the title right right and purportedly there's some multiverse layer being introduced here right right i don't know that that's been officially confirmed yet right not not officially no so far it's only assumed because uh the two villains are from two different uh set of universes from from spider-man Movies. It's auto from Toby and uh, Electro for uh, Garfield's Spider-Man. Yeah, so we know Jamie Foxx and Alfred Molina is confirmed too. Yes. The, however, Andrew Garfield and Toby are not confirmed. No. So the Reddit fandom is only assuming so far. And I can buy it that they are actually a surprise within the movie. 
Because right. if that is uh, foretold, then it's it's pretty much fucking up the, the one of the best plot twists of all time if they do it. You know? Damn, that would be pretty cool. Like a that live action Spider-Verse. Cool. You say you don't like animated whatever, but the Spider-Verse was a top-notch film, man. Miles Morales was really good. Uh, he's he he's actually the closest to um, my childhood's uh, Spider-Man. I think you're biased, though. Why? Because Miles Morales is half Dominican. Is he though? <laughs> yeah. I know he's uh, Latino, but I didn't know which uh, Latin country he was from. The good one. The good one. Right. Um, that's it. However, uh, what I wanted to say is that, for example, uh, I don't see Tom leaving anytime soon. He's way too young. They can chuck out like five more movies from him. Unlike uh, when Toby did it or Andrew did it, which they were like mid-20s. Uh, almost there. Toby was like 30 years old in high school, fighting Joe Manganiel. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Um, they were older than my dad. <laughs> I'm exaggerating. But yeah, um, it's 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 the current uh, theory that uh, we are doing a multiverse in live action movies, which has not been done so far. They hadn't even done one in animated until they did Spider-Verse because they probably didn't think it would work. Exactly. And people actually, the DC fandom was actually expecting uh, for DC to do it first with uh, the Flashpoint Paradox, which uh, if uh, anybody in the audience haven't seen it, it's uh, well worth. You can either read it, read it or you can watch it. Uh, it's... For me, the best storyline on regarding Flash, um, Flashpoint Paradox. Um, they were expecting to do it first uh, when Sex Snyder had allegedly hinted at it when Flash traveled to the past and started uh, yelling to uh, Bruce that Bruce uh, Lois is the answer, whatever. And they were going to mix it with the whole nightmare uh, dimension. Which we got shown for, I don't know why. Um, they tried their but, best. Yeah, I digress. The fact is that the, this is the theory. This is why uh, I am personally hyped for this movie. Because that would be really, really, really cool. Uh, we do not know the plot yet. That is very well hidden. I'll tell it, you what, though. Yeah. Um, just to do a little parenthesis there before you finish your point. Even if there is no Toby and no Andrew, I don't need Andrew. I, I don't need Toby. I want Toby. I yeah. would love Toby. But even if we don't get Toby, if we get Otto and Jamie in a good script setting, not the blue thing, but maybe something else, and they're playing along, Tom. I'm on board already. Hey, I was on board with Otto. So for me, 
he is still the, the best villain that <coughs> how much movies are there? Uh five, seven. He's the best out of all seven. <coughs> He's really good. He's really good because and and I think Spider Man too is a we could do a whole episode about the the Sam Raimi Spider Man series. Still for me the best roller coaster. For me, the best movie yet. Spider-Man 2 is so good. Spider-Man 2 is so good because it doesn't take itself too seriously. You know? It does everything well. Uh, Character development. uh, The the plot that Molina. Yeah. Alfred Molina is so believable. He's so believable. He gives you in the same movie the origin of the villain, the development of the villain, and the redemption of the villain. So, the problem is also Molina's so charismatic. He's so likable in that first movie and that first scene where he invites him in, talk to his wife, and you see he's so likable. So his turn to madness it happens very quickly, but it's totally believable. You can totally yeah, see it. Exactly. He's it's just wonderful. And also the, the redemption side, you know, that's yes. believable. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. So it's it's an amazing movie. Um, and also the Toby side is also well done. The whole train thing, the whole the the the, the city in Manhattan, you know, embracing him and not revealing who he is in order to keep him safe. You know, he's always rescue, rescuing the city. Now the the city is rescuing him. Real New Yorkers would have mugged him. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so. Uh, for me, ever since I, I knew that Afro Molina was coming back, I was on board. When I heard that Jamie was coming back, even though we've stated on the on this podcast before that uh, Jamie Foxx is an amazingly talented man. Um, Full stop. Yeah, on everything that he does. And music, everything. Uh, comedy, acting. I really, I honestly think we're going to look back 30, 40 years ago. And if you try to come up with a name in somebody who was funny, like stand-up comedy funny, who was musically gifted in terms of playing multiple instruments, gifted musically in terms of being able to sing, and outstanding in acting, I don't know that there's... I couldn't come up with another name. No, because people used to to get a hold of the of numbers and say that oh well, Will Smith has done that, but uh, I think Will Smith has gotten along with in life because of his good. Ah, I guess it's rebound rewind time. Yeah, I think that Will Smith has gotten along uh, so well in everything that he does is mostly because he's such a charismatic guy. And and you can see the same thing happening with The Rock nowadays. The Rock can do anything that he wants to, and he will probably be probably be successful at it, just because people like him. Not a, not necessarily they like what he does, but they like they like him. So um, the charisma but, drives the the success. Yeah, and. With Jamie, it's, it's it's not necessarily the opposite in terms of of his effect on the audience, but 
it is it is the opposite of of what is the propulsion on him you know uh, in Jamie it is it is in fact his talent not necessarily his charisma you know i agree um so however as far as uh that goes his electro performance was horrible you can peg that to the director to the role to whatever you want it was a horrible uh, performance and for me it's the worst uh villain almost in all of marvel's movies with the probably exception of you know paul giamatti's rhino if how, how can this man enter your list when he was on screen for a grand total of eight seconds well you know there's picky people some i don't want this to go down in history and someone in the cons well you know paul giamatti exists <laughs> well technically Paul Giamatti <laughs> so if you want to count him fine he's the second worst but if he, you don't count Paul Giamatti's Rhino then We Jamie really... for me is actually worse than uh, Fordman's Venom I think we don't upload this content to any platforms that allow for comments So the only way that would happen would be if somebody ripped it and then uploaded it to YouTube just to stick it to us. In which case, we've got bigger problems. The yeah. content is already uh, way too popular. Have at it, dude. Exactly. I disagree. Um, but yeah, for me, he's he's actually worse than uh, <laughs> uh, for Spider-Man 3's Venom, which is horrible. Uh, you you will not talk bad about Topher Grace in my presence. You will not do such a thing. That's my boy. Yeah. Uh, I refuse to watch the Tom Hardy Venom. I refuse to watch it. It's not horrible. I refuse to watch it. It's a it's not horrible. In, in fact, it's it's almost not cringe. I don't know what's going on with my allergies in my eyes. But it's, it's not it's, horrible. Uh, it's you're, you're talking to a real man, and and and, and some. In some species, that tends to have an allergic reaction. Right. Go get a mayo sandwich, bitch. Oh wow, my my connection is is, is not stable. Wow, I'm losing, I'm losing the video. <laughs> wow. Um. Okay. So. Um. If if you are able to see it without pain. Or going through a hassle, I think you you should watch. I think I think where I'm where I'm at right now, they would need to give me a dollar to pay to watch it. Because no, I'll watch it because there's a new one coming, and Woody Harrelson is Carnage. Right. Like that seems fun. I always liked Carnage. I I thought it was a like a even crazier Venom, and it just crazy. Cletus Cassidy was like it's one of the my only favorite. Venom son that it's embedded in our memory. Yeah, yeah. Cletus Cassidy was like because I felt like Eddie Brock was just boring. It was like this other jock kind of photographer-looking dude who was competing with Peter, but right. Cletus Cassidy was a legit mental patient. This was a guy who was really crazy who wanted to kill people. Yeah, and and he got a fucking symbiote. So it's like. This is levels, you know, there's levels to this shit. So I always was a fan of that. 
But I just found this thing, this Venom movie, to be so cringy just from watching the trailers, and then this fucking accent is just off. It's better than the trailer. I believe it, but I was like, it's not my Venom. Not my Venom. Yeah, for me, uh, it, it's going to suffer the same fate as Hulk. Um, for me, doing a live-action movie, depending on a CGI lead, it's a hassle. As much as technology is uh, very advanced today, you I'll can say you that what? Avatar existed, but that's a whole other level. Here's the problem, and here's what Mar- Marvel and a lot of people understood eventually and what the venom people didn't understand this time i love tom hardy i love him no homo but in order for you to make a fully cg character work you need to have a ton of charisma behind that yeah that main character tom hardy as much as i like him as much as of a talented actor as he is tom hardy is not a guy that oozes charisma you know what? At all. I, I hope that eventually you get to, to see his character on Peaky Blinders because he's like the most charismatic guy that you've seen in a while. Really? I mean, his dialogue, it's on par with Varys and, and Littlefinger. How dare you? I mean, I am offending myself saying that. But dare you. Alfie Solomons, which is his name on the show, is an amazing character. He dictates the room with dialogue. And that, oh, a character that can do that, I'm always a fan of. And it's amazing. I was not expecting that much charisma coming from him. To be enamored in his way of, of uh, dictating and... and, and and you know, flowing energies with the with the other characters that he's dialoguing with, it's it's really it's it's very good, and it's changed my mind in in, in, in parts to uh, Tom Hardy's performances. It really has. Wow, I'm shocked. Shocked. But yeah, uh, so saying that. And up until you see it, you, you probably can uh, share that POV with me. But um, I, you know, because of, I know that my biggest fear with uh, the new Venom is not uh, Tom Hardy's lead. It's actually uh, how far can Woody take it? How cartoony will he be? Because if you bring me a psycho like um, the uh, the new Lex Luthor, uh, the Jesse Eisenberg's Luthor, it's 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 fake. You know, real people don't don't act like that. You know that that jittery, crazy scientist. It's I can't buy that. Yeah. I believe you. How do you play a psychopath in a way, especially in a comic movie, in a way that's believable, but that also seems like, oh, wait, this dude's fucking crazy. Right. When you're standing up in a room full of costume dudes, it's very challenging. It's challenging. Woody, um, yeah. Woody has the talent to do it. He does. I mean, tough. 
if anybody in the audience has seen uh, Natural Born Killers, he, he makes a great psycho. The thing is that Venom, uh, I'm not going to say as much as I like it, but it's a decent, uh, uh, entertaining movie. The thing is that it takes itself seriously. Mm. So when you take yourself seriously, you have a double sword. You can even continue to do that. And everything you do has to seem real in order for me to believe it. Or you That's don't right. take yourself seriously and you can goof off and I can believe it. That's right. You, you can't do it halfway. So if you take yourself seriously, then you bring me a, a joker who is a clown of a, of a person. It's going to take Damaged. me out of the... Exactly. <laughs> <Damaged>. <laughs> it's going to take me out of the immersion. And I'm not going to believe right. what you're doing. I'm going to find it stupid. So that's my only fear with uh, the new Venom. The only way I see myself watching that movie is if the Carnage movie comes out, you watch it, because you will, and you tell yeah. me it's amazing. Then I'll watch the first one and this one. If you tell me, no, come on, it's like the first one, it's good, I won't watch either one of them. Why get invested? I've seen worse shit, so this is a weird hill to die on. Yeah, Um, that's what G.I. Joe. Apparently, I'm going to have to go watch Space Jam, so (laughs) don't listen to me. What the fuck do I know? So let me ask you this, because we're... We're going to keep talking about these potential Spider-Man scenarios for a while. Mm -hmm. We're going to do a hard, hard fast forward. Next, next track. It's, this is a hard question, question. Okay. So bear with me here. Um, it is now 2021. It's been 22 years, 22 years since the original matrix came out the gap between the matrix and reloaded and revolutions was over a decade if i'm not mistaken right what (laughs) the gap between reloaded and revolutions Mm -hmm. was over a decade right no 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 it's not that long? No. Reload and Revolutions? It's it's like two years apart. No, I mean between the first one and Reload and Revolutions. No, the first one is like 98 and, and Revolutions is like 2004. Okay. Fine. That, that helps my point, actually. Okay. Why do I want to watch these characters now? Especially after they ended revolutions in the way that they did yeah i mean there's a, I, I have a bunch of issues with it um i mean for the fans of uh, the matrix universe you know there's a whole trinity pun intended and <laughs> and there's a there's a holy trinity of characters that you should have and there's a maybe fourth that you should have. So the Holy Trinity, actually, of the characters that you should have in this universe is actually Neo, Smith, and Morpheus. Why? Because you have the hero, you have the villain, you have the, the teacher. That is the link between the two of them. You know, the one that brings the, the hero to the villain. So 
that's your holy trinity of characters. You can argue that Trinity is actually a also of equal importance. She is not, but you can argue that she is. So uh, my issue my issue is that of these four characters, let's go with it. You only have two because Morpheus is not coming back, at least not Lawrence Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, according to rumors, we we are actually going to see a younger version of Morpheus. I don't know why. I don't know if they're doing time travel. I don't know if they're doing flashback. I don't care actually. Um, and f- for me, you're actually muted. Oh my god! No wonder I've been talking so much. Larry Fishburne had enough time to do John Wick, but he didn't have enough time to come back to this. Uh, from my research, what I could see is that they actually went ahead without him. And that is exactly what uh, uh, Hugo Weaving said. That for me is actually even more important than Lawrence uh, within the story. Uh, maybe, you know, don't make him part of the plot. Maybe don't make him the main villain. But at, at least you had. He should be because he's the antithesis of the story that is Matrix, that you have a chosen one and you have the opposite of the chosen one. The interesting thing about Neo as a character is Neo is a vessel. Neo is a vessel for the viewer to come into this world that we don't understand and neither does he. So you can project yourself onto Neo. Neil doesn't need to have that strong of a personality. If no. you look back at the original Matrix, we don't know much about Neil. He's a hacker. He sells counterfeit software sometimes. He's been looking for Neo. He knows about, he's been looking for Morpheus. He yeah. knows about Trinity. We don't really know much about his personality. Neo is a vessel type of a character. Smith mm-hmm. is not. Smith represents everything that's wrong smith represents your job I mean, smith represents your fucking landlord unpopular smith opinion is, smith is the best character in, in the whole trilogy i completely agree with you because anybody who doesn't say smith will say neo and they're wrong and stupid exactly. because neo is not a character neo is a vessel Smith is a character. Smith is a fully-fledged, um, complete villain. And he has an art, Smith, you know, he has a development. He evolves. And he's not even a fucking person, which is why it's so hard to believe that the Wachowskis are so inconsistent in their work. Because The Matrix is a fucking masterpiece. A masterpiece. The first one. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Only the first one. Only the first one. The other two don't exist. Somebody else. I don't know. Some, VH, some, some VHS tape showed up at my door. I watched it. I don't know what the right position. Yeah. No, it's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. And Neo is... various senses. You know, artistically, technologically, uh, script-wise. To even, to even show up to set knowing that Hugo Weaving is not going to show up, it's ridiculous. But... To play devil's advocate, they showed up to set time and time and again to play these fucking CGI bullshits in the fucking basketball court when he was fighting 100 Agent Smiths oh, right. with yeah. the poles. They don't care about the artistic integrity of the story. 
they lost sight of that a long time ago. Or our view of what it should be doesn't jive with them. Maybe now that they're both girls, they will have think, another take. I think it's only Lana now that it's... No, uh, no, sir. No, sir. No, both of them? Both of them. That's a shame. How is that a shame? How is that a shame? Because mm, I thought... The Wachowski, I thought the Wachowski that... sisters. No, here, here is. Uh, on Title Four, it's directed by Lana. That's what I have here. But, but yeah, but they're, they're both involved, no? Uh, I have that she's the one that read it, uh, wrote it. She's the one producing and she's the one directing. Uh, I don't know why uh, her sister uh, is not appearing as part of the cast and crew. Lily? If that's the name that she has now, yes. Let me log in. I have IMDb Pro. I have it here. Let me see. She shows as a writer for Matrix 4. Lily does. Okay. She's also directing? No, Lana's directing, like okay. you said. Okay, okay. Well, she has uh, creative input. She, if she's oh, no, 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 no. You're right. Yeah. You're right. No, you're right. It's all Lana. Based so, on characters created by Lily. But it's okay. all Lana. So the Sorry. thing is that we're going to have a, a one-sided uh, part of the story that I am anxious to see what the story is going to be about. Because um, if we have any gamers listening out there, from what we know on the mythology of Matrix, it's sort of like the, the, the Zelda uh, stories. That it's one hero that is born and born and again. To do the same thing and save humanity once again, once again, once again, according to the Matrix mythology, the the one is born every time that there is an issue with the Matrix, and he comes from from the Matrix itself to save us. So that whole arc of Neo being born in the Matrix and getting out to save us, it's complete. He did it. His everybody died including Trinity. And you can say that his ending was uh, left to be subjective. I don't think so. I think that he delivered himself into the Matrix to be one with it. Um, so, you know, it's a complete arc. So what are you going to do? You're going to train somebody to be the next new? <laughs> In Animatrix, he woke up another young kid, but... That was before Revolutions, I think. Yeah. In Animatrix, he woke up a young kid. He did. But it was like his kid consciousness. Yeah, yeah. Like, there was a kid in high school, and he did the Morpheus thing to him. Oh, okay. Right. Anyway. Well, maybe... I don't see any young kids, uh, you know, cast that. It's... It, Everybody that I see casted as an old an old person, you know. Uh, I see Jada Pinkett Smith, you know. I see the the Merovingian, which is a great character. I fucking love him. Um, I think he he has the Sorry. the only classic curse scene in in cinema history. Maybe it's the Merovingian. 
he, he's the French dude, right? Yep. Exactly. The, the, but he goes on a rambo of, uh, of um, uh, the Italian girl. Uh, uh, what's her name? Oh, Jesus Christ. Well, the Italian actress. Yeah, the, Vincent Cassell's wife. <laughs> yes. Anyway, uh, the Merovingian is the was a very very interesting character with uh, levels of uh, within the very quick scene that he was part of, but it was still a very cool character that we could uh, have a look. Uh, he's coming back. I, I know that uh, the guy that was taking care of the Oracle was also coming back, the, the Asian actor. Monica Bellucci. Monica Bellucci. He was the husband of Monica Bellucci in, in Matrix. Um, I yeah. had not seen this cast. I, uh, the Matrix Four, right? Yeah. Keanu Reeves, Carrie Ann Moss, yeah. Priyanka Chopra Jonas, yeah. Christina Ricci, Neil Patrick Harris, Jonathan Groff. A very random ensemble of people. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But what I was going I with yeah, go ahead. is that I I don't see uh, a reason for this to exist. My question when we did the shift was why do I care about these characters? The point that I was trying to make by saying that the Matrix was in 99 and the others were a decade ago, which I was wrong, is yeah. now it's 2022. Why do I care about these characters? They closed this chapter. Neo entered the Matrix. Yeah. Why do I care about these characters? Why do I care about these characters without Smith, without Morpheus? Exactly. I mean, it's I essentially a story without characters because of what I said earlier. And I could buy a fourth movie about the world of Matrix. I could go ahead and dare myself to see a new Neo, uh, to dare myself to see another way that we could confront the, the machines. Or I can even go further. I could see a prequel to that. I could see the first Neo, whatever. You know, there's so many ways you could expand upon the world. Uh, except, you know, doing what they did about making it focus around uh, Jada Pickett Smith character. Um, you remember that? I mean, they did an animated series and they, they did a video game all around her. I don't know why. I played I played that video game a lot. It was called Enter the Matrix. You couldn't get that many video games that would allow you to do bullet time and just shoot a guy, just empty an MP5 as you're diving back Max Payne style. I was a trouble child. Yeah, and you know, there's so many ways you could expand that universe that is not involving again. And hey, I am a fan of Keanu. I watch almost every movie that Keanu Reeves is in. I even watched that a weird a Netflix movie about uh, an Asian girl that suddenly dates 
a fictionalized version of Keanu. And I laughed. It's a bad movie, but I laughed. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Keanu. Um, I even watched that Keenan, that KMP movie called Keanu because I thought he was going to be in it. <laughs> the cat movie? Yeah. I yeah, that was a funny movie. Um, however, I don't see the the necessity of this existing. But I will keep my hopes up. I see that it's going to be That's also fine. digitally uh, released. Not hopeful. <laughs> Not hopeful. We'll see what happens. I can't. I I I hope. I hope that this will be a situation like the Suicide Squad, where we're like we're having the same conversation. Like, there's no way. Only one of the Wachowski sisters did this. Hugo Weaving and, and Larry Fishburne are not in this movie. It's got ninety two percent. How is this possible? Turns out to be amazing. Yeah, the better than that. the first. <laughs> I mean, groundbreaking. Every single thing. People, that people riot to the streets. I am now noticing that everything else, every single thing that the Wachowskis have done that I've loved, have Hugo Weaving in it. If it, if they don't have Hugo Weaving in it, I don't love it. I see, you know, they have Matrix Hugo. Then they did uh, B for Vendetta, Hugo. Then they did The Invasion, Speed Racer, Ninja Assassin, Cloud Atlas, Jupiter Ascending. They all sucked for me. No, no, but I'll tell you what. Cloud Atlas did not oh, yeah. suck. And Hugo Weaving was in Cloud Atlas. Rule still applies then. Cloud Atlas did not suck. Cloud Atlas was too overreaching it was too much too many stories i enjoy that film i've seen it two or three times i like that film because it's very it tries a lot it's a too lot. many stories hugo weaving is in it he plays the guy with the hat who lives inside of tom hanks's future character's brains who tells him to save himself hugo I weaving is in there I'm willing to take it back because my rule still applies. So everything that doesn't have Hugo still applies. It sucks. Absolutely. So, um, so Matrix 4 cool. sucks. Yeah. We can call it right now. Probably. I hope, I hope it doesn't. I hope I'm wrong because it's a fun universe. We have very few dystopian uh, cyberpunkish movies nowadays. Other than the actual one that we live in. Well, I wouldn't call our reality cyberpunkish. It's um, dystopian. It's dystopian. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's cy dystopian. cyberpunk um, reality—it's when it's tried on on live action, it's usually cringy. It's it's usually seen as as fake. Uh, have you seen Maze Runner uh, series? I saw the first one. It was interesting. It was interesting, but. You know that it's lacking. If they do too much, it looks fake. Uh, the only other cyberpunkish world that I, I remember liking is Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer was really, really fun. Moon Jung Ho? Yeah. But uh, for that reason alone, I, I hope it works. Um, 
because I, I hope we are both wrong. wrong. Yeah, I hope I'm wrong. I don't think I am, but I, I hope I am. I hope we are both wrong. It's an amazing movie, but uh, usually one of us is wrong. Not not both. Yeah. Did you see Sense Eight? They, they developed a cult following with it. Yeah, um, a cousin of mine said, oh, you got to watch Sense8. And I was like, you can't pay me enough money. No. It doesn't seem. Same thing with um, the one with uh, Joel Kinnaman, uh, Altered Carbon. I couldn't bring myself to watch that. It didn't seem interesting. I tried it. It wasn't for me. I did try it. It wasn't for me. At all. I think they made like two or three seasons, though. It's not for me. Oh, really? No. There's something about fantasy TV shows that... I don't know. For example, I, uh, the, the whole DC TV show universe has a lot of fandom on it, but I've never loved any of them. I couldn't really tell you of a single I, one that I've loved. I got a baby hype when they did uh, the, the the whatever's of tomorrow, because they they made the the brothers from Prison Break actually brothers on the show, and I thought that was actually actually really cool. <laughs> uh, if anybody listening actually saw Prison Break, you can relate. You know, uh, seeing them together actually uh, was actually a cool thing to do. So, uh, so, so Lincoln, Lincoln was the one who was already in jail, and yeah. then Michael, yeah. Michael, right? Schofield. Schofield. That's right. Yeah, they they became the the two pseudo villains that one has a fire gun, one has an ice gun, and uh, that's just you know uh, fan service, and I thought that, that was really cool. I think they canceled the show. Um, but other than that, I've never paid attention to the whole Gotham has a, a huge fandom. Um, Flash has a, has a few huge fandom. I remember Arrow had it. And maybe that's because they are all on the CW network. They have a lot of other people watching. Uh, but I digress. The thing is that how did I, we get into this subject? I, I We... we... I have no idea. <laughs> I have no fucking idea. Mm. I have no fucking idea. Um, I, I I ran out of my script like 46 minutes ago. We've been just... You know the Truman Show where he just gets on the boat and he just, just fucking rides it out until he hits the edge of the world? Right. It's, it's been me for the past 46 minutes, 48 seconds. Yeah. Just just write it out. Just write it out. All right. All right. Let's say we hit the the, the wall then. Let's We're going to hit the stop. Um, we first got to thank our, our Patreon, um, Black Diamond level supporters. Um, you know, without you, show will still happen. But <laughs> it's great. It's great to have you on here. Um, and also to our regular non-Patreon supporters, because without you... Again, the show would still happen. Uh, yeah. We're going to see you in episode five. Uh, every week, 
we get worse. But that's nature. That's nature. And that's a promise. That's a promise. You can take that to the bank. All right. We will probably... <laughs> won't make it to chapter 100, but I hope we do. I, I already said it. I don't take it back. The soundboard happens 100. All right. That's a cut.